Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. As you're thinking about all there is to be thankful for this month, don't forget the feathered fascinations that bring us so much pleasure. You'll enjoy the birds even more if you come for a free walk with Ocean State Bird Club. Learn much more about us on Facebook and online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 754. We've chosen three quick stories by which to start off our show this morning. One, what surprising thing helps dark-eyed juncos and other birds attract mates? Two, why fish-eating birds are starving in the Bering Sea, even though the sea is filled with fish? And three, California's number one source of the greenhouse gas methane is not what you might think it is. No, it's not cows. So here we go. Story number one. Scent is being increasingly recognized as an important sense for songbirds. A new research from Michigan State University says that when dark-eyed juncos clean their feathers, or preen, they spread pungent oil from their preen glands all over their bodies, and this apparently plays a role in attracting a mate. But the study says the juncos are getting some help in making that scent because many of those preen gland chemicals are actually made by bacteria. Yuck. Hmm. Story number two. Birds and seals are starving in the Bering Sea, even though the sea is filled with fish. According to Alaska-based scientists studying the problem, many of these seabirds feed on tiny shrimp-like creatures like krill and copepods, and those little creatures' numbers have declined as the water off Alaska has warmed. Some other birds, which feed on small fish, have seen their population drop as much as 98% in recent years in the Bering Sea, and that appears to be at least partly because the birds are now competing with large fish like cod and pollock which as waters warm have migrated from farther south. In story number three, what's California's number one source of the greenhouse gas methane? Using data collected by NASA planes flying over the state, scientists say that landfills give off more methane than any other source. It's the first time such an in-depth study has been undertaken to measure California's methane, a greenhouse gas that's 25 times more potent, at least in the short term, than carbon dioxide in trapping heat and contributing to global warming. So those are just uh, summaries of those stories. We have links to full details on all three of those stories right now on our website. That's TalkingBirds.com. Meanwhile... If you're going to San Francisco or if you're already there, look up and you may see the face of a great new hero or heroine in the fight against climate change, Greta Thunberg, the amazing young woman from Sweden who first became known for her activism. When last August at age 15, she began spending her school days outside the Swedish parliament to call for stronger action on global warming by holding up a sign saying, 
in Swedish, school strike for the climate. She inspired other students to engage in similar protests and then led a school climate strike movement under the name Fridays for Future. After Greta's address to the 2018 UN Climate Change Conference, student strikes took place every week somewhere around the world. In 2019, there have been at least two coordinated multi-city protests, each involving more than a million students. And now she's gained further recognition with her portrait appearing at a giant mural in San Francisco, commissioned by an environmental nonprofit called One Atmosphere, which plans to create a series of works honoring climate change activists around the world. So way to go, One Atmosphere and Greta Thunberg. And here's a little postscript. We just found out that another global climate strike has been scheduled for November 29th. If you'd like to learn about it, just go to fridaysforfuture.org. That's fridaysforfuture.org. It's the sound of our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest. Coming along a little bit later in the show. Our mystery bird is the most common member of its family in the world. It's a small water bird with a thin, dark bill and red eyes. In summer, its color is predominantly black with golden ear tufts and chestnut brown flanks. And in winter, it's black, white, and gray with white ear patches. Our bird is commonly found in wetlands and shallow, uh, shallow ponds in western North America, where it feeds by surface diving for aquatic invertebrates like brine shrimp and brine flies. Beautiful prizes, including the extra super popular Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder. That's the one that lets you see the birds right up close with an unobstructed view, just the window between you and the bird. Three strong suction cups attach the feeder right to your window. It holds two cups of seed, fruit, suet, or mealworms. Bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. So those are the prizes, and don't forget, no correct answer means we'll have a drawing, so... Take your guess or tell us definitively what that bird is on our upcoming Mystery Bird Contest. Meanwhile, we know that Thanksgiving is coming soon. We all have things for which to be thankful. And around here, we are especially thankful to our Talking Birds ambassadors. Listeners who have agreed to help us spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation by handing out our little cards that we send them handing out to their friends and neighbors and fellow birders. And thank you to Miller from Chicago, Illinois. He says, I'm glad I discovered this podcast. It's been a great way to learn interesting details about birds during the featured Feathered Friend segment. And my your mystery bird contest have helped test my knowledge about birds. He says, also, you got me hooked on birds and beans coffee. Uh, bought another bag and planning to buy a few more whenever this one Runs out. All right. Drink up, Miller, and thank you so much for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thank you to Adele from Chester, Maryland. She says, I've recently rediscovered my love of birds. And now being retired, I have the time to devote to this passion. I've also rediscovered Talking Birds. She says, I'm a member of a local bird club and am in contact with others who share this interest. So it just makes sense to become an ambassador. 
we'd certainly agree. Thank you so much, Adele. And thank you to Kyle Reynolds from Pine City, New York, near the Pennsylvania border, not far from Ithaca, New York, home of the world-famous Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And Kyle says, my family's business is Virtu. That's V-I-R-T-U, a small mom-and-pop jewelry and gift shop in the Bucktown neighborhood of Chicago. He says, you can find us on Instagram at Virtu for you. V-I-R-T-U, Virtu for you. And yes, we have checked that out. They have some beautiful stuff there. Thank you so much, Kyle. Well, Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family by allowing us to send you some of our little info cards. To join the family, just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com, no G in Talking, and click on the Get Involved button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with special guest Gary Menon, who is a passionate and tireless advocate for the elimination of hazardous poisons known as rodenticides. Plus, we'll check in with Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment on the topic that kind of fits in with uh, Gary, Great Horned Owls. And up next... Its nicknames include Spoonie and Bootlip, and it's also known as the Smiling Mallard. We'll find out uh, the why of all that as we meet today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Today's featured feathered friend is a bird that's been furnished with a shield. In fact, that phrase is a translation of the bird's scientific species name. But in common terms, that shield has become a shovel, referring to the bird's most unusual bill, more like a shovel than a shield. It's the northern shoveler. As its name implies, the northern shoveler has a wide, flat, shovel-like bill, which it often sweeps back and forth in the water, straining food from the liquid through the use of small, comb-like structures called lamellae located along the edges of the bill. Although vegetation comprises 60% of the northern shoveler's diet, it also feeds on plankton, aquatic insects, and small crustaceans. To help it digest the hard-bodied items, like fingernail clams that it consumes, the northern shoveler is equipped with not only a gizzard, but also elongated intestines, which provide the extended digestion period necessary to process these items. The northern shoveler is easy to identify, regardless of whether it's a male sporting its breeding plumage, iridescent dark green head, white breast and chestnut belly, or if it's a drab mottled brown female. Just look at that bill. There's nothing else like it. That bill and the fact that the male's color is similar to another very familiar duck has earned the northern shoveler the nickname Smiling Mallard, and hunters call the bird Spoony. Also thanks to that big flat bill. By the way, as pointed out by Peterson and Burroughs in their book, Birds of New England, the northern shoveler was once categorized in its own genus, spatula, for obvious reasons. The northern shoveler. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show. It's number 754 in case you're keeping track. We hope you'll visit our 
sparkling new website. We think it's pretty nice, and we hope you will, too. It's at TalkingBirds.com, and we hope you will also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We have a lot of wonderful new photos there on Instagram, by the way. We're now happy to welcome to the show a man who is passionate about and dedicated to a cause, getting rid of rodenticides, poisons to kill rats and mice. He's Gary Menon, and he's the director of the Massachusetts chapter of Raptors Are the Solution, R-A-T-S. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. Great to have you on the show, Gary, to hear about uh, the good work that you're doing. Now, the title of your organization gives us a hint, but... uh, Tell us what Raptors Are the Solution is all about and what its goals are. Raptors Are the Solution uh, org is a, uh, an organization which was started out in California, in the Berkeley, California area, by a woman by, by the name of uh, Lisa Owens Viani. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had some personal experience with uh, dealing with uh, poison hawks in her neighborhood, and she became quite appalled by this and started to move um, on the order about seven years ago to try to ban them in California. It's... Uh, it's a project of the Earth Island Institute, uh, and so it's a, a non, fully nonprofit organization. And uh, she is working tirelessly, tirelessly to try to get these poisons banned in California and hoping that that, that spark will spread across the country and actually uh, throughout the world because this problem is a problem uh, that's, that's worldwide. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So you're in charge here in Massachusetts. Um, other states joining in? There's... Uh, uh, there's a there's work being done in Oregon and also in uh, Virginia, as I understand it right now. There's chapters in those locations as well. Mm-hmm. So it's worldwide. How big a problem, Gary, would you say rodenticides represent? Which creatures are the most severely impacted by them? Is it raptors indeed? It certainly is. I mean, any any animal that preys upon rodents, and of course rodents are staples for just about every raptor, um, owls and hawks, and... Uh, also for foxes and bobcats and, and the like, and, and even out, out west for mountain lions, mm-hmm. they're seeing mountain lions being uh, being poisoned by these poison uh, by these uh, rat poisons. So there's a, a certain irony here with uh, raptors, as you're suggesting, being the best way to control these creatures or these um, rats and mice and so on, and yet they're being affected, eating them because they're poisoned. Absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to you know a couple. Of couple of statistics, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, uh, and, and this, uh, this goes back to, I really started looking at this, uh, a woman by the name of Maureen Murray out of uh, the Grafton Tufts Animal Hospital, animal uh, clinic there in Grafton, Massachusetts, not far from me here, uh, has been studying this uh, since at least the year 2000, about no, going on about 20 years now. And uh, uh, she looked at, uh, I, I guess they had autopsied 161 Massachusetts raptors there between the years of 2006 and 2010, and 86% of them had poison residues in their liver tissues. Mm. Then they looked at more raptors, about 100 of them, between the years of 2012 and 2017, and 96% had detectable poisons. Um, And most recently, uh, not last winter, but the winter before, nine snowy owls, which are, you know, pretty spectacular birds that visit us in the wintertime and, mm-hmm. and uh, on the Cape and, and at Logan Airport. Nine snowy owls died from poisoning in Massachusetts uh, mm-hmm. during the, the winter of 2017-2018. Wow. So it's a, it's a, unfortunately a very common problem. Not all the, uh, the uh, raptors that are received by the Grafton Clinic are autopsy because the autopsies do cost 
you know an amount of money that they uh, and they're, they're on a on a strict budget as well. So uh, they don't test them all. But uh, Maureen, Dr. Maureen Murray, had indicated to me that every single great horned owl that they've ever tested that's come in come came into their facility as a carcass as a dead bird mm. that they have tested has proved positive for, for rat poison. So these birds are under tremendous stress even without you know the use of uh, these poisons and with these poisons uh, they're uh, they're, they're being threatened for their very existence. Mm-hmm. Well, this kind of brings us around, Gary, to what uh, we regular folks can do to help reduce the use of these poisons in our homes and elsewhere. Oh, well, certainly uh, don't use them. There are many other methods to to uh, to attack the problem if you have a rodent infestation. The first and foremost is to uh, make sure you don't have a food source. Now, this this might be a problem for some folks. You know. I'm talking birds, but, you know, if you do have a rodent problem and you're feeding birds outside with uh, bird feed, certainly that bird feed will attract rodents. So uh, be aware of that and, and make sure that your house is very tight. There are organizations that that will rodent-proof your house without the need for any poison, and that's just by making sure that there are no entry points around the house for rodents to get in. Now, a, a rodent like a mouse, a, you know, a white-footed mouse, a very small rodent, uh, and it can make its way just about in through anywhere, but there are organizations out there um, uh, uh, that businesses that will, you know, basically rodent-proof your house mm. without the use of any poisons, without the use of any traps whatsoever, just to keep them out of the house. Mm-hmm. And then, if should they should they get in, you can use. There's any number of uh, methods to uh, to uh, respond to that. One, we we use a house cat, a house cat that we keep in the house. We don't let her outside at all, mm-hmm. and she stays in the house and. Um, we don't keep we you know we take good care of the cat she's 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 well fed but you know during the winter time not too well fed so that she's a little hunting has a little hunting instinct as mm-hmm. well sure. and she will she will catch a couple of couple of mice every winter that have have made it through our uh, our uh, our border fence mm-hmm. well give us the raptors are the solution website Gary so folks can find out more about this more about what to do more what the what the goals are and all that well it's simply all one word raptors are the solution dot org and there's links in there to uh, to the Mass Massachusetts Rats chapter, which is what I represent, and other links in there that you're certainly going to find useful relative to other things that people can do to help, um, and, you know, uh, mitigate this problem that's, that's that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Raptors are the solution. Dot org. Correct. Right. Gary Menon is the Massachusetts director of Raptors are the solution. Thank you for your great work, Gary, and thanks for being on the show. You're very welcome. Anytime. Coming up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, well, there was this one time I went camping with my parents in a forest back when I was maybe like eight or nine. And um, I can remember one night we were laying out in our hammocks and we were just, you know, watching the trees rustling in the wind above us and... We could hear the sounds of the forest all around us. Frogs singing and owls calling and the creek running nearby. It was amazing. It felt like we were a part of it all. I don't know if I do it justice trying to describe it, but I'll definitely never forget it. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. 
Thanks for being with us for our mystery bird contest. It's presented by Birdwatcher's Digest. Birdwatcher's Digest is much more than a magazine. Explore their publications, events, online birding store, and birding tours at birdwatchersdigest.com. That would be the sound of our mystery bird. Maybe you heard it earlier in the program, but this is the actual contest now. At which point we urge you to call as soon as possible. If you think you might know what this bird is, and if you don't know, take a guess, because a drawing will determine our winner with no correct guess. A guess received. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. Prizes include the Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder that lets you see the birds right up close with an unobstructed view. Just you and the bird and the window in between. And a bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the, the app that makes uh, learning bird sounds a game is, uh, is what that does. So those are the clues and the sound and the prizes. And the phone number again is 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, we're going to talk with Mike O'Connor uh, about great horned owls. That would be on uh, Let's Ask Mike Live in just one minute. say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation. My name is Justin Everton, and I'm calling from Lincoln, Nebraska. I encourage other people to become Talking Birds ambassadors because you get to make a difference. You can influence others. There's a lot of doom and gloom around the environment and bird populations, but we really can have a good impact on that, and becoming an ambassador would be a good way to do that. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkingBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. And thank you, Mike O'Connor, for joining us again here on uh, Talking Birds with our Let's Ask Mike segment. And uh, and good morning, uh, Mike. Go, hey, good morning, Ray. <laughs> and I want to say, I, I took a beach walk the other day, and I saw some trash, and I thought of you. Uh, how do you mean that exactly? <laughs> well, Isn't that sweet? <laughs> <laughs> that well, you know, explaining. you're always you know, encouraging birds to pick up trash, and yeah. I found a bunch of mylar balloons several times, and it seems like you mentioned it once, and now I find them every time I go, and I'm popping them and picking them up, so mm-hmm. I appreciate you calling that to everybody's attention because they were out there, yes, and I got them. So. They are. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for doing that. And uh, well, you were out. Well, this is not while you were out there, but you've been you've been hearing some. Oh, have you been hearing some calls of great horned owls? Or, wait, I think I hear one. Hear one now. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, look at that. Listen, to that going back and forth. Yeah, right now, the owls can be heard. Great horned owls or all owls can be heard any time of the year. But early winter is during the breeding season. But fall also they. They announced their territory, and they reestablished their pair bonds by calling back and forth. Mm. And, they, boy, they were going back and forth in my yard the other night. You know, I stood out there in the cold, and they were just back and forth, back and forth. And there's a lot of young owls now that are looking for territories. So mm-hmm. these, and 
great horns tend to stay in the same territory year-round. So these established adults didn't want any usurpers moving in. Mm-hmm. So they were calling back and forth, kind of keeping in touch with each other. And it was it got pretty rough as, as you know, they start off calling, and then there's a space in between, and then they call, and there's a space. But then they get kind of worked up, and then pretty soon they were, like, uh, calling back and forth, and they're actually interrupting each other. They were like an old married couple finishing. I'm talking here. Sentence. Yeah, right. They were going back and forth. But what's cool is the owls, the females, which are uh, larger birds, but they have a little bit higher pitched, and they're a little bit more animated, mm-hmm. and so you can actually tell the difference if... By the male and the female, there they go. There they go again. There, is that the female calling back there? I think that's yeah. the female calling back, calling right. Back, yeah. yeah, a little higher pitch. Yeah. So back this is... Back and forth. This stuff they're doing now, not actually mating calls exactly, but sort of pre-mating, right? Pre-mating, yeah. Strengthening okay. their pair bonds. Yeah. And then also uh, announcing to whatever owls might be moving in or, or looking for a territory, this, this one's occupied. Mm-hmm. And come in. So it's kind of, you know, and a lot of the times we don't hear the owls because we have the TV cranked up or the music or we're talking, and now it's colder, so the windows are shut. But um, I don't know. I always seem to hear them. And, and my ears aren't really good anymore, but I can st- seem to tune in the owls. And, you know, and like we'll be talking, all of a sudden I'll hop up and there's the owls. Everybody looks up and like, I've just lost my mind again. Oh, but, um, this is the time of year. And the other thing is, I'm going to play this because I get this question a lot. People come in and they'll say, there's something awful screaming in my, in my yard. And the, the, the young birds, the juveniles, still this time of year can be begging. And they have this kind of, I'm going to play this, and hopefully I don't you know, hit the wrong button and play like ACDC or something. <laughs> but this is the young one. You'll hear this screech. Well, maybe you won't hear this screech. Yeah, it's very, very subtle. I didn't hear that, Ray. Did you? You didn't hear no, that? No. Only no. Mike can hear it, apparently. Yeah. 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 Right. I'm going to try okay. it one more time. Try it, yeah. Whoa. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Our, our hearing has become attuned. Yes. yes. We, I think we, we heard that. Oh, uh, you heard it that yeah. time? Yeah, we definitely heard that, yeah. So yeah, people, you that's, know... That's the young ones. Okay. We're still trying to get food out of their parents, and they'll have that high-pitched really high-pitched, blood-curdling screech. And yeah. It kind of scares people. They, you know, they call me up, or they bring in a recording, or they mm-hmm. double-check to make sure their doors are locked. But it's basically the young ones that are still kind of chasing their parents around. Right. So, uh, keep, it, keep your ears to the window this time of year, because the great horns are talking. Yeah, turn down that radio so you can hear that. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Mike O'Connor at the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. We'll be back to the Mystery Bird Contest at 781-837-4900 right after this. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Well, this might be kind of a tough one on our mystery bird contest, so remember, you don't have to get the right answer necessarily. Take your guess. If no one gets the exact answer, you would be the winner of uh, some beautiful prizes here, including the Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder. Let you see the birds up close with an unobstructed view, plus a download to your iOS device or online access to 
the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. What is that mystery bird? 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Well, here are the clues about our mystery bird. First, it's the most common member of its family in the world. It's a small water bird with a thin, dark bill and red eyes. In summer, its color is predominantly black with golden ear tufts and chestnut brown flanks. And in winter, it's black, white, and gray with white ear patches. Our bird is most commonly found in wetlands and shallow ponds in western North America, where it feeds by surface diving for aquatic invertebrates like brine shrimp and brine flies. Here's some extra material about it. At its fall staging areas, this bird more than doubles its weight. This is kind of interesting stuff. The pectoral or chest muscles shrink to the point of flightlessness. The digestive organs grow significantly and great fat deposits accumulate. Then before departure for migration, the digestive organs shrink back to about one-fourth their peak size. And the heart and pectoral muscles grow quickly. I don't think we're going to have time to clear a call through here. Shall we identify the bird uh, nonetheless, Tim? We could, or what about an email contest? Send us an email. Tell us what that is, and we'd love to give you those prizes. But we're out of time for the show uh, today. On next week's show, we'll find out what progress, if any, is being made in the fight against ocean plastic pollution. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Frey McGregor, and our producing engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. As you're thinking about all there is to be thankful for this month, don't forget the feathered fascinations that bring us so much pleasure. You'll enjoy the birds even more if you come for a free walk with Ocean State Bird Club. Learn much more about us on Facebook and online at OceanStateBirdClub.org.